0: Welcome to church. This morning, we're continuing our sermon series, DIY Faith. Through this series, we're exploring God's blueprints for our lives. Pastor Doug is sharing his message, Favoritism Fail. If you're new here, we'd love to get you connected with our community. You can message us on Facebook, Instagram, or by simply texting hello to 587-323-1199 and we'll respond right back. Check out our bulletin if you want to see what's happening here at Calvary. On it, you can find information about the ministries and events coming up that we would love for you to be a part of. This morning is a family service, and we've got activities for the kids at the doors. If you fill out the activity sheet and hand it in at the end of the service, there will be a special treat for you. We also have two baptisms and some child dedications this morning that we'd love for you to celebrate with us. We're so glad you could join us today.
1: Welcome to a very busy and very exciting morning this morning. So, it's July 31st, and I don't know if you realize this, but 35 years ago today, two very significant events happened. The first one was an F4 tornado, one of seven tornadoes in Alberta that day, struck our city in a tragic event known as Black Friday. My wife and I, as newlyweds, were living down in Idaho, and we were snuggling on the couch watching TV. And when this news flash came on about a devastating tornado um, in my home city, it was a very surreal, very odd moment. But in the midst of that darkness, there was a little ray of sunshine, a tiny spark of hope. As a precious baby boy was born to a strong and courageous young indigenous woman who had overcome terrible trauma and abuse and adversity and had been blessed with this young bundle of joy whom God would use to do great things. It's wonderful to have Daniel Johnstone and his mom, Pamela, and brother Michael as part of our family and community, so happy 35th birthday, Daniel. And... It's a family service today, and it's so great to have our kids in with here and in, in with us here today. And you saw two of them baptized this morning, which was so cool. And in a little bit, we're going to be dedicating three families and three uh, children to uh, to God. So it's going to be a beautiful morning. So to celebrate family, I was going to wear my The Walking Dad Not dead, the walking dad, can we put that slide up please? The walking dad or the grandfather t-shirt this morning. However, my fashion consultant advised me against it. And kids, if you have one of the puzzles this morning, that would be your first clue, the walking dad. If not, you can go to the front, the foyer and pick one up. So um, at the end of the service, kids, if you have a coloring sheet or your activity sheet, take it to the back and we'll give you a special uh, treat for following along this morning. So our young families are really the lifeblood of our church community. And so if you are a new or newer family here this morning, four times during the year we have a special combined family service But every other Sunday, we have an amazing children's department, Sunlight Kids. Your kids, your children will love it. We've got the best volunteers there are, and we're always looking for even more uh, people that love kids to help in that department too. So if you're a brand new guest of any age today, and you like a specialty coffee or an Italian soda, uh, please make sure you get your coffee Uh, coupon from the back information uh, desk. And as you heard from Bruce Richards this morning, in just two short weeks, we'll be completing our uh, pastoral succession journey and we're so excited. I'm personally so excited that our search committee and elder board has unanimously nominated Pastor Barry. And if you have any questions about the process, or the votes, please talk to myself or one of the pa- pastors or one of the elders. So, enough of all that. I'm Pastor Doug, and we're continuing our message this morning entitled DIY Faith, God's Blueprint for Our Lives. And the title of my message is Favoritism Fail, Favoritism Fail. And I just want to bow our heads this morning. It's a very important section with some very sensitive topics, and we want great God's grace This morning. So, Father, we invite your presence in here this morning. We pray that we have open hearts. God, I know you already convicted me about this message and this scripture today. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, you'd be at work in each one of our lives and that you would just protect and bless this service today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, drip, 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 drip. It just wouldn't stop. I checked the toilet, I checked the sink, I checked the trap, and yet the water continued to run down from the main floor half-bathroom along the black sewer pipe and form a puddle in the bottom of my utility room. It didn't happen when I flushed the toilet, it only happened when the sink was used. So, I'm no plumber, but logic dictated that if I could only see up through the subfloor, into the wall, behind the sink, that I could try and find the source of the lake. So, I drilled a pilot hole, and then I got my jigsaw and inserted it, but it was too tight a space, and I tried a little handsaw, but it was just way too much work. So, I only had one option. I required more power. Finally! I got to use one of my most cherished Father's Father's Day gifts, my reciprocating saw. And as I began to saw through that section of wood, there was a horrible rattle and vibration, and it reverberated and echoed up two stories to my wife's ears. Great. Now I had engaged a renovation expert And she quickly determined that what I was doing was completely unacceptable. And how dare I be cutting through the precious plywood in her home of all places. Despite my very reasonable and very logical and clear explanation, that part of my DIY project was shut down. Construction, destruction, they had all ground to a halt. So I saved the precious plywood and instead I disconnected the sink and pulled the cabinet away and didn't see any trace of stray water, so it must be, as I suspected, behind the wall. So I cut away a large chunk of drywall and sure enough, I was confronted with the leaky pipe. Now I had PVC, and ABS, and gray pipe, and black pipe, and how was I going to cut them and replace them? If only I had a DIY plumbing manual to consult, or a plumber to ask advice. Oh wait, I did. The millions of other DIY experts were out there, so I turned to the wisdom of the hive, the knowledge of the masses, and yes, I looked it up on YouTube. <laughs> so the book of James is a little like an ancient version of YouTube, with a lot of practical adv- uh, answers on how to walk through life as a Christ follower. While we'll be sharing from both the book of James and Ephesians dur- during this series, I'm going to be focusing on the book of James and the first 9 verses of chapter 2. So kids, kids, here's clue number 2. James is a how-to guide to Christian living. A how-to guide to Christian living. So our DIY series is not about doing life on our own. But it's more like a how-to manual listing uh, very practical ways to walk with God. And in week one, Pastor Nathan showed us from James chapter one, the keys to having joy in the middle of all of life's challenges and difficulties and temptations. And if we trust God during these hard times, it will actually produce character and strengthen us. Last week, Pastor Barry laid out in Ephesians 4 a blueprint on how to treat others with love and grace and respect and showed us how it is possible for us all to walk together in unity, even when we have differing opinions on some of the smaller things. And in the weeks to come, we'll hear additional important and practical advice on other relevant topics. So let's begin reading James 2. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat up front for you, but say to the poor man, you go sit over there or or sit on the floor here by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Do we have the verses this morning? Is that possible? Thank you. Wow, this is a pretty strong start. However, the context that we find ourselves in is that under the Roman Empire in the 1st century AD, excuse me, Society functioned in extremely polarized conditions among Christians and non-Christians. People were either very rich or very poor. They were slaves or they were free. They were Jewish or they were Gentile or Greeks or Romans or barbarian or circumcised or uncircumcised. And then on top of it all, you had very powerful, very arrogant Jewish religious leaders lording it over the people. And so the rich lived a life of self-indulgence and ease uh, based um, only on, exclusively, on external circumstances. So their position in society, their social hierarchy, was determined by their ancestry, or their race, or their economic status, or their wealth, or their political status, or their religious affiliation, or even their gender. And a small number of families had accumulated most of the wealth and power in the Roman Empire. And this gave way to a two-class system. There was the upper class, who were filthy rich, and then there was the lower class, comprised mostly of everyone else. Slaves and servants, and a small number of of freed men and women as well. But essentially, other than a few shopkeepers and um, market vendors, there was no middle class. And those in charge, as they always have been throughout history, were fine because a strong middle class has always been a check and a threat to an oppressive upper class. So this division began to be perpetuated for generations strictly based on their ancestry and it became virtually impossible to break out of it. So extreme wealth and harsh poverty, uh, repression and violence were the result of much of this superficiality in regards to the way people were valued and treated. And the unfortunate thing is it had also infiltrated and corrupted the message of Christianity and the church. So James, he was also known as James the Just, which is very interesting because he stood up for those who had been mistreated by the rich and by the powerful. And he brings this problem to the attention of Christ's followers, and he wants to take them back to the message of Jesus, back to the fact that Jesus came to earth, and the gospel and the good news for, was that it was available for every single person, no matter what. Everyone was equally loved by God. Every person had the same status in God's eyes. So kids, clue number three. Clue number three. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, you must not show favoritism. You must not show favoritism. So the word favoritism here is also interpreted partiality. And it's very interesting. It comes from a Greek word, which is actually a compound word. So it's made up of two words. The first one meaning to take hold of or grab hold of. And the second one meaning countenance or, or, or looks. So really this word means acceptor of a face. Acceptor of a face means that we make judgments and distinctions based on only external considerations such as physical appearance or social status or race. And let's face it, we've all been guilty at one time or another of fawning over this handsome or this pretty uh, charming um, actor or actress or a politician or a sports hero or even a religious leader when they are every bit as human and broken and often more so than us. So in 1 Samuel 16, it tells us that God doesn't look at what people see. People judge by what's on the outside, but the Lord looks at the heart. Kids, that's clue number four. The Lord looks at the heart. God looks at character. God looks at what really counts in life. John Maxwell says, it's true that charisma can make a person stand out for a moment, But character sets a person apart for a lifetime. Think about if you were camping on a cold summer evening, a cool summer evening, and you wanted to keep warm, and you lit a sparkler. How well a job would that do? It would look pretty, it would look amazing for about 20 seconds, and then it would be gone. That's like charisma. Compare it to character, which would be like a, a, a huge warming bonfire that lasted a long time and had a much greater effect. So, the gold rings, the opulent jewelry, the expensive fine clothing, kids, that was clue number five, by the way, um, they were the primary ways that people exercised their vanity, and they advertised their rank in society. And so when a well-dressed, rich-looking person came into a church or a temple, especially a poor church or a poor temple back in those days, they, the people were far too excited, they were way too eager to show them extra special attention, for no other reason than those person's wealth and prestige. So kids, when I was growing up and I was the same age as some of you, grade four, five, six, seven type of thing, you know what? I remembered that I would try and be friends with all the popular kids. And there was this one kid that, when we brought peanut butter sandwiches for lunch, he bought ribs and cheesecake and all this stuff, and I thought, that kid is so cool. Or I would hang around the kids that had the best hockey cards. We didn't have Pokemon cards in those days. Or even if the kids were unpopular, but they had a trampoline, or they had a swimming pool, Or they had a video game, either a handheld one, or they had a console which I didn't have, like a Sega or Nintendo. And it was really quite embarrassing. Suddenly, I was their best friend, and I would walk home from school with them, or I would call them and say, hey, you know, how is it going? And and really, all I wanted was to be able to get to what they had. So I only showed them favor so I could go play their video games or, or jump on their trampolines. And it was really quite embarrassing. But fortunately, as I grew older and, and later even in, in junior high, I began to see those kids who were picked on, those kids who weren't like everyone else, who were unpopular, and other kids were mean to them, and I began to befriend them, and I began to stand up for them. So why must we not show bias or partiality or favoritism? Why must we not discriminate against others on any basis? Because number 1, we represent. We represent. So James purposely uses the verse the uses the term glorious Lord Jesus Christ in verse 1 to contradict the true glory of Jesus versus the fake glory and attention that many people were giving to the wealthy and the powerful and the famous. In 1984, there was a one-hit wonder with the chorus that said, I always feel like somebody's watching me. Modern-day surveillance aside... We are being watched because we represent Jesus Christ on this earth. People are curious about our faith. What makes us different, they wonder. As Pastor Nathan shared, how can we have joy even in the middle of difficult circumstances? They don't get it. They also can't understand, as Pastor Barry showed us, how we can love each other and walk in unity even if we don't agree on everything. Everything. So it's so important we treat everyone without favoritism or prejudice because we represent Jesus Christ here on earth. Kids, that's clue number six. We represent Jesus. I've kind of summarized and condensed and paraphrased in my own language 1 Peter chapter 3, which tells us to always do Good. Always do good. Love Christ as Lord of our lives. Keep a clear conscience. And when people see, when they see the good way we live, treating others with respect and not preferring others, as they see the way we live as followers of Jesus, be ready to speak up and tell them why you're living the way you do. Because we represent Kids, that was clue number seven. Be ready to speak up. The second reason we must not show bias or partiality or favoritism or discrimination against others is that it compromises us. Verse 4 says that when we show partiality or uh, favoritism for any reason, we have become compromised. Compromised. We're no longer walking in Christ's message of love and grace, but rather we become judges with evil thoughts. Other translations say wrong motives or unjust thoughts or evil motives or thoughts. This means that we become like judges that are compromised. They're no longer honest. They're no longer just, but they are corrupt. And early on in the Bible, we're warned of this. Leviticus says, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. Kids, that was clue number eight. Judge your neighbor fairly. So many of you may be sitting here today, and I've been in that position too, and you're thinking, I don't judge or favor others based on their wealth or the color of their skin or their social status or their appearance or whether they wear a mask or don't wear a mask or whether they're vaccinated or not. I don't show partiality or preference or judge them. That's great that you think that, but really? Do you really think it's true? I know I have an awful problem of judging people who judge people. Isn't that a crazy paradox? I get upset with Christians judging other people, so I judge them, and it's not okay. It's kind of like being so proud that you're so humble. It just doesn't work. Come on. So let me ask you a super honest question this morning. Could an LGBTQ couple or a transgendered person or a pregnant unmarried woman or someone divorced multiple times or an addict or someone else who is on a journey and doesn't speak like you or understand the Bible like you Could they walk in the door and not be wrongly judged by us? Think about it. How long would it take them, how long would it take us before we felt that we were God's instrument to correct them with truth? Could we love them unconditionally? And sh- thank you, and show them grace and mercy, and let the Holy Spirit bring truth in His time, not in our time. Or would we be so tempted to hammer them over the head with the Bible that we become compromised and judge unjustly with wrong motives? Ephesians 2 shows us that we've all been rebellious. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. Every one of us in here, including myself, we all deserved God's anger and judgment. It then says that we did nothing to change it. We did nothing. It was only God's love and grace. That put us back on the right track. So bottom line, we must stop being wrongly judgmental. And we must stop using a sledgehammer to try and fix a watch. Later in verse 13, James says, You must show mercy to others. Kids, that's clue number nine. You must show mercy to others. If you do not show mercy, then God will not show mercy to you when he judges you. Wow. What a scary thought. But the one who shows mercy can stand without fear before the judge. Wow. There will be no more mercy to those who have not shown mercy. How do you want God to judge you? I know how I want God to judge me. I want him to use mercy. But Pastor Doug, you don't understand. They said this. Show mercy. Oh, you don't understand. They did that. Show mercy. We must stop trying to put the Holy Spirit out of a job. Right? Thank you. Stop judging other Christians, non-Christians, minister of the gospel. Here's one for many of you, even TV evangelists. I mean it. It's dangerous for you, and if the person's heart is right... The Holy Spirit will bring truth and conviction in His timing. It's not your job. I'll be the first to admit that I'm guilty of being partial and showing favoritism to only those who seem spiritual or holy or deserving in my eyes. It's not okay. I was convicted big time by my own message. Like, what's that about? Parents, parents, be careful with partiality and favor to this child because they follow all the rules and they perfectly color within the lines we set for them. Or that child because they never question anything. Or if they do, they only ask the right questions. I speak from, you know, okay, frankly and of course... Young children need boundaries, they need healthy boundaries, they need safe and health, healthy correction. That's not what I'm talking about. I speak from personal experience that when I put truth and judgment with one of my adult children ahead of love and grace, I was compromised and judged with wrong motives. And unjust thoughts, and it almost destroyed them and destroyed the relationship. Fortunately, Pastor OJ came to my rescue, letting me know that love and grace will always keep a relationship open. Let's keep reading. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Kids, that's clue number 10, to be rich in faith. So the tendency of all of us is that when we have more, this is the tendency of human nature, When we have more, we have more success, we have more material things, we have more finances, we trust God less. And believers with less, often in third world countries, trust God more. Now, that's a generalization, but it's really kind of simple math. Having much equals needing God little. And having little equals needing God much. Jesus says in Matthew 19 to his disciples, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, it is difficult, not impossible, so this is not a complete generalization, it is difficult for a rich man, not because they're rich, but because they cling to possessions and status as security to enter the kingdom of God. And not all people who are well-off cling to their riches as security. Luke 6, Jesus says, "'Blessed are you who are poor, "'for yours is the kingdom of God.'" So basically, anyone, rich or poor, who depend on God, whose security and trust is in God, they are blessed. James goes on to say, "...is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong?" James goes on to say that not only do Christians often discriminate against the poor, but we do so in favor of the rich and the famous that we hold in such high regard." Yet it's those very people that openly mock our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, this is a family service. So parents and grandparents, this may come as a shock to you, but Hollywood is not your friend. And companies like Disney that entertain us and our children have become more and more blatant and vocal in their despising of Christian values. And we're going to have to become increasingly discerning in these areas. I would never sit my child down in front of a cartoon or a movie unless I have watched it and sensed the spirit on that thing first. Parent, grandparents, same thing. Children, clue number 11. 11. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you, wow, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. The commandment to love one's neighbor as oneself is described as the royal law. Because it's the supreme, the most important commandment which all other laws are underneath and which governs all under laws in regarding human relationships. It is the summary of all such rules. Jesus says in Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. This is the first and most important command. And the second command is like the first, love your neighbor neighbor the same as you love yourself. All of the law and the writings of the prophets take their meaning from these two commands. So the right course of action is to love and care for and show mercy to everyone because of the message of the gospel and what Jesus has commanded us to do. To show favoritism is not simply to be guilty of some insignificant fault or some social miscue. It is sin. James is saying here that we are to treat other people the way you wish you were treated completely regardless of status and appearance. That's how we're to love other people. Favoritism, discrimination, and their horrible offspring of racism and so on are wrong. They're sin and they fail every time. Kids, pay attention. Clue number 12. Okay? Over a hundred years ago, the mighty Titanic, the unsinkable Titanic, hit an iceberg with over 2,200 people aboard. We're all familiar with with that tragedy, but the story that few people know is that when they were trying to determine who survived and who had perished, and they were very obviously technologically and communicationally challenged in those days, they set up a very basic system, a very simple system. So this massive chalkboard was set up in a shipping warehouse In Liverpool, England, where many of the crew were from. And it was divided into two categories lost or saved. Each person who survived and was accounted for was listed under the saved heading. And each one who perished and couldn't be tracked down was listed under the lost heading. It didn't matter your riches, it didn't matter your race, it didn't matter your social status. When all was said and done, you were either lost or saved. Today, more than ever, society and all its attempts at social Justice cannot solve the problems of favoritism, discrimination, and racism without God. The progressive social justice ideology we find ourselves in overwhelmed with today teaches that to combat favoritism and discrimination, society needs to destroy and dismantle the rich in order to lift up the oppressed. However... The Word of God says that not showing partiality or favoritism is the standard, meaning that no person is to be exalted or torn down because of their race or status. These things are completely irrelevant in God's kingdom. The message of the gospel is that God loves everyone equally and invites them to experience His His grace despite their social standing or their race or their gender. The pure message of the gospel of Jesus is only based on the fact that we are all created in the image of likeness of God and therefore we are of priceless worth. You are of priceless worth to God this morning. Dr. Martin Luther King challenged a society that favored skin color and race over the message of the gospel. He also strongly challenged the church and Christians that had fallen into favoritism and partiality, even racism. He challenged them to go back and uphold the values of Jesus and the good news. Dr. King said, The center of the Christian faith is the affirmation that there is a God in the universe who is the ground and essence of reality, all reality, a being of infinite love and boundless power. God is the creator, sustainer, and conserver of values. And Christianity sets forth a system of absolute moral values and affirms that God has placed within the very structure of this universe, certain moral principles that are fixed and immutable. These moral principles are based on the message of Jesus Christ. Christianity in its intended, in its intended true and pure form, not the contaminated version that judges everyone, But the message of Jesus in its pure form levels the playing field for all. When Jesus came to earth, he modeled the perfect love for every person. Think about it. Even those that society despised and considered worthless, Jesus loved and lifted them up. Today, the message is that God doesn't play favorites If you're here this morning or you're watching online, you are loved by God no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what's been spoken over you, God welcomes you with open arms this morning. This corrupt cancel culture of today measures your worth by how many times You've and how badly you've fallen and failed. Jesus says, I love you, and I don't measure your value by how you fail, but instead, I'm here to help you get back up each and every time. The famous children's song goes like this Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. It reminds me of this beautiful picture of heaven where everyone is completely equal. Revelation says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Kids, that was clue number 13 from every nation. And we'll close with this this morning. Colossians 3 says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's stand together and close in prayer. Father, this morning, we realize that there's, there are many people here, Father, who have, God, experienced discrimination, have experienced mistreatment, have been judged harshly by others, Christians judging Christians. Father, we are so guilty of that. And God, many have had lies spoken of them saying, you're not good enough, you're not okay. I don't love you or favor you because you are are this way or that way but Jesus this morning you accept each and every one of us completely equal we can't do anything to love you more and we can't do anything to love you less so father come into our hearts fix the hurt fix the pain fix the brokenness if we have unforgiveness help us to forgive others we pray and God, help us to never judge someone else harshly, Father. Help us to walk in grace and forgiveness and love, we pray. And if anyone is here today and you've said, wow, this was like new concepts to me. I've never heard of the love of God. I never heard that, love, that God loved me and cared for me unconditionally maybe you came from a harsh background where people spoke horrible things over you or mistreated you. And God says, come this morning. Come into my presence. Come to know me. I love you unconditionally. I created you. I have an amazing plan for your life. And if you've never asked God into your life, into your world, into your heart, it's pretty simple. It's like asking a friend to come into your life. It's a free gift, and yes, it'll cost you everything. It'll cost you your life, but you will be walking with the Creator of the universe. And so, if you've never prayed this prayer, I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and you can pray along with me. Jesus, thank you that you love me unconditionally. You forgive me completely. I invite you into my life, into my world. Forgive me for my sins. Forgive me for doing things my own way. I'm sorry. I want a brand new start. So come into my heart. Come into my life this day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for joining us. If you need anything, don't hesitate to contact us. You can find more information on our website, Facebook, or on YouTube and Instagram. We'll see you again soon.